I hear, make sure that you're giving everything that you've got away for free in a lot of cases. And then on the other hand, get really good at saying no. And so what's that balance for me to be kind of giving back, developing these relationships with people that are, you know, wanting some aspect of my time and being able to control my time and work on the things that are important to me by saying no. Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Alan. I'm a family man, an attorney, and an entrepreneur. Each week, we provide resources and advice to help build your business. Are you ready? Then let's go. And I realized at that exact moment that, number one, I didn't really love what I was doing. Number two, I didn't think I had it in me to make this my life. I didn't think I was that good, frankly. So I wanted to learn what I was good at. Like, what will be my career? It didn't matter if it was the industry getting into, but I wanted to know what I really love doing. And that, because I feel like as an entrepreneur, if you really love it, you're going to make something of it. You're going to be able to create a lot more. It's not going to feel like a job. It's going to feel like your life, right? You just, so I wanted to have that thing where, I wake up every day and I feel good about what I'm doing. What if the answer to one of those two questions was yes? Yeah, I think we'd be very different place right now. If the answer either was, I feel like I'm amazing at this, or if the answer was, I truly love this, I think both answers would have led me down the path of me really pursuing film and trying to be a filmmaker. But for me, that wasn't the answer. So the answer was, I need to figure out what I'm good at and what I enjoy. And I figured that I didn't know that answer. You know, if you're four years of film school, that's all I knew was film. So I wanted to to figure something else I would be good at, potentially. And I thought starting a business would, would help me find that a lot faster than reading a book or taking another class. I felt like just diving in deep and, and learning from experience would be the best thing for me. This is very cool. This is a very cool story, actually, because there's so much education, right? Quote, unquote, education in the world right now. There's so much information just generally online videos, colleges, online courses, YouTube videos, whatever, right? Social media. And you know what's interesting, Jeremy, is that a lot of that information, even in college, right? I went to law school. Some of my law professors had practiced law. Some of them hadn't. And you don't really learn how to practice law necessarily in law school. It's a little different objective. So you have, you know, people in MBA groups right? They're getting a master's in business and they're being taught by people that, you know, I love the, uh, the entrepreneurship instructor or professor that's never started a business. Right. And it's very cool to me that, and I mean, I'm biased, right? Because I'm an entrepreneur and I, you know, I don't, really teach it. I share some of my thoughts, but I don't like have a course that I sell or anything like that, but I've done it. And it's one of those things that it's impossible for you to fully understand unless you do it. It's a lot like salt, right? Tasting salt. So my son, like a couple of weeks ago, I think he asked me what pepper tastes like. And I'm like, dude, how do you, how do you tell him what I'm like? It's kind of spicy, but you know, like the best way to know what pepper tastes like, what salt tastes like, what anything tastes like, right? 
is to try it. And the best way to learn about business is to do it, right? And so I think that's very cool. I've never really heard of anybody doing it for that reason. I've heard all sorts of different reasons. Like I wanted to make more money. I wanted to control my time. I didn't want to have a boss. I wanted to do something that I love, like whatever. And you're like, hey, I want to learn. And so that's such an interesting take that that's how you got your start. But you saw through this kind of, this mentality of no, it's a one-way street. They're just there to help me. And you kind of flipped that and you provided that value first. That's incredible. It isn't really. It's very primitive. And sadly, today we overcomplicate things. Let's play a game. All right. So, Alan, I'm having a barbecue this Saturday night. You happen to be in Los Angeles. And I go, Alan, why don't you come to the barbecue? What's the first question you ask me? What do you want me to bring? Was it that hard? You see, just the primitive. If I'm inviting you to my party, what can you bring to the party? Now, I've worked with some of the most powerful names and I could name drop to piss you off. The amount of times people come to them and they're like, hey, 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 uh, yes, uh, I'd like you to be on my podcast. Oh, I'd like you to endorse this. Oh, can I get a photograph of you with my product? Can I get you to write a forward in my book? You know, like I have people come up to me and they go like, hey, I want to get Elon Musk on my show. Sure shit you do, but why does he want to be? People are asking the question from the wrong angle. It's not a case of what you want. It's a case of why would they want what you want them to do? So whenever you go up to anyone, think to them, what can you bring to the party? With me, yes, it was dashing good looks, but also it was a case of I could get you into places that either you weren't invited to or you didn't know about, you know, I knew when there was an opening of, you know, an unveiling of a new Mercedes, a new model of Mercedes, and I would get them into it. You know, they mm. could buy the dealership, but this was just me thinking outside the box. And to be able to find out, go, Alan, I don't know if you're busy Thursday, but there's the, there's a movie premiere of the new Top Gun movie. Would you like to go to the secret premiere of it? You know, now I'm going to charge them, but the fact that I was doing things to give them a more interesting life and I was thinking of them gave me the ammunition to then go, hey, let's get together and have breakfast. I demonstrated what I could do to you or do for you. Now I want to chat with you. And people think conversations are harmless, but the amount of information and education you can get from them is paramount. You know, something that I'm kind of right in the middle of right now, Steve, is I'm starting to get some pretty serious demands on my time with the different businesses that I own and the different pursuits that I'm kind of after. And, you know, I hear kind of mixed advice. I hear, make sure that you're giving everything that you've got away for free in a lot of cases. And then on the other hand, get really good at saying no. And so what's that balance for me to be kind of giving back, developing these relationships with people that are, you know, wanting some aspect of my time and being able to control my time and work on the things that are important to me by saying no. So when you give away all of your information for free, then you've really just built up a, a community of people like that like things for free. <laughs> that's that's the first thing okay so you want to really quantify not so much your information but your time how much time do you have left you can make more money but you can't make more time now i have a free facebook group called an entrepreneur's advantage with steve sims and i dump my views in there i dump my videos in there i do live amas 
and I urge everyone to do this, have a platform that you can put all of that stuff in. But if they want to take you to the next step, hey, you got to pay. Like, and again, I'm not pitching it. In fact, I'm not going to give you the link. I charge $750 for a 30-minute phone call. Now, the funny thing is my attorney says to me, how come you're charging more for a phone call than I charge you? <laughs> and, but I charge 750 bucks for 30 minutes. Now, here's the thing. When someone's paying that amount of money, you can guarantee two things. One, they're in pain. Because if you're spending that amount of money to get the answers you need, you've got a problem you need solving. But the reality is sometimes you can delegate too quickly. And that becomes a recipe for disaster. And that's happened to me. And then the flip side, you can delegate too late. You micromanage everything and you do it all yourself and you don't build a team quick enough. You don't build processes around you and, and you delegate too late. And I've made that mistake too. There's a delicate balance between the two. And if you've made both mistakes, then you can spot them easier the next time around and understand that, okay, yeah, now we have this in our core competency now. We can build out a set of procedures. We can get somebody who's better at it as a freelancer, contractor, employee, and get them on the team and delegate to them versus also like, oh, I don't know how to do this. It scares me. Delegate, get somebody to handle it. That usually doesn't work out. So I've after 22 years of doing it wrong and then figuring out how to do it right, I think the third time around, I could do that a lot quicker. I don't think I want to do a third one. I think this is my last one. I think whatever happens with this company, I'm going to keep running it as long as I'm having fun. And we may find out when we get to that scale-up phase, when we get close to nine figures, that I may suck at it. And at that point, we'll put in a professional CEO. But yeah, I think this is my last one. <laughs> the first two were just too hard. Yeah, no I, no, I don't blame you at all. Give me an example of delegating too soon and the issues that might come from that. There are clear issues and there's clear problems with delegating too late, especially if you're trying to scale something. If you know, you're the proverbial mom and pop shop and you like the technical work and you, you know, in your case, you like doing the landscaping yourself, you like being out there on the job. That's perfectly fine, but if you're a business owner, that wants to really scale a company, which especially a service business, a home service business, it's sometimes hard to kind of drag yourself away and, and replace yourself. But what is it that you can cause issues with your company if you delegate too soon? Yeah. Wow. Where do I start? I'll give you two examples. I'll give you an example of the first business. First business was a landscaping construction company. And it was about year six that I realized that we were actually a sales organization, that we weren't a landscaping company. We were a sales organization and that we needed to figure out the best way to beat the pants off of our competitors with a better sales process. And so the first thing I did is I went out and hired a bunch of sales guys. I mean, right? We need to sell some work. And then after about three years of just wasting a bunch of money and a bunch of time and not growing revenues, I realized I needed to be the salesperson for a while. I needed to go on the sales calls. I needed to figure out what the prospecting process looked like. Lay all that out. What does the pitch process look like? What does the follow-up look like? What does the handoff to the account manager look like? I needed to do all of that, document all of that into a process, and then teach people my process rather than trying to like hire the silver bullet rock star sales guy. So that's a real common 
mistake of delegating too soon, hiring your first sales guy and it's expecting like magic to happen. And so that was a mistake I made in that business. My second business, GreenPal, which is a strictly a technology company, doesn't have a sales team. We market through inbound marketing, meaning like somebody is just searching for lawn mowing services. They stumble upon our property. They check it out, try it out, and use it. We don't have people like doing outbound cold calling, trying to sell lawn maintenance services. But we, uh, as a technology company, we have to have other types of rock stars, engineers, designers, coders of all sorts. And so, you know, when I started this business, I didn't know how to design software. I didn't know how to write code. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And so I thought, well, let's just go hire a bunch of these guys and gals and, and get them to do it. And after a year and wasting a quarter million dollars of my own money, I realized that I don't have the first idea on how any of this stuff works. I need to go back to the basics and I need to learn how to code. I need to learn how to design software. I need to learn how to build a product. And I had to like my co-founders and I had to teach ourselves how to do the 80-20 of all those things and do it ourselves for a while. And then we could delegate and build out a team of rock stars around us. So the whole idea was like, okay, we're going to be fine. I know it sucks. It's scary, but we're all going to be fine. What do we want to protect? And then what can we do that's right in front of us where we can just put one foot in front of the other and just keep marching, even if days are terrible, right? And I think me not saying it and not being too Pollyanna about the future made them feel more comfortable. And it seemed to really land, you know, and we did a series like show this video. We'll show it to our customers and our, our customer base. We'll do a talk about how we feel about it around our industry. We'll show the next one, do the same thing. And that really landed well. And you say I suck at that because I'm not a real touchy-feely guy, but that actually worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, when you run a business, you naturally have, you know, a target on your back, so to speak. And during COVID, a lot of weird things happened where the people that were coming after you were from different angles and it just business just got really interesting. And one thing that I started to consider a lot during COVID was which are the battles that I'm going to take on and which are the ones that I'm going to let go. And as entrepreneurs and as business owners, we owe a lot of times people don't realize this, but we owe duties to different people and Ultimately, you know, the, the larger company gets, the more you're responsible for in terms of all sorts of things, in terms of giving back to your community, in terms of helping people live a life where they feel, you know, some level of fulfillment, they, they're continuing to progress. And I started to struggle a little bit with deciding which of, you know, the proverbial holes in the boat I was going to focus on filling. And a lot of gyms across the United States, not a lot, but a couple made national news, right? Some, I think there was one in New Jersey that just absolutely refused to close their doors. But I think generally in most states, gyms were closed at least for some period of time. I know mine was in Arizona for an extended period of time. As a business owner, how do you decide What's your thought process and what's the analysis look like when you're trying to decide, hey, which of these battles am I going to take on? I know I face this with, you know, sometimes I'll hear something that an employee did or I'll hear that, you know, a customer disrespected 
a member of the team, or I have a partner that's disgruntled about, you know, a, a business decision that we've made. What's your process for figuring out which battles you decide to take on and which ones you kind of just let fly under the radar? I think it has a lot to do with maybe what we were talking about before, right? Like what is, what are you putting a moat around? Like, what are you not willing to give up no matter how bad things get? For me, it was like our integrity as a brand. I wasn't willing to do anything underhanded, sneaky. There's no hidden motivations. Listen, during COVID, what made it so difficult is you were now pulling conversations into business that you would normally never have. You would never have a political conversation, right? Exactly. In your business ever. And by default, like just by choosing to be open, you were then seen as drawing a line and picking a team, right? Which was crazy. I was just trying to do my best. So hmm. I would say for us, you know, that's a million dollar question. I wish I had a really thoughtful answer for you, Alan, but. I think it would just depend, you know, it depended on what it was. And it almost seemed like on the daily because no one had ever been through something like this before. Now, what I wasn't willing to do, because in entrepreneurship, you understand this feelings are fleeting, right? You cannot go online and just, you know, pop off about your political leanings or any, it's just not a smart decision. I know you want to, and I know in the behind closed doors in your home, you probably have very pointed opinions. We all do, right? But there is absolutely zero reason for you to jump on social media and use an opportunity for you to talk about your political leanings. It's immature. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time. Mm-hmm.